Well, hey, welcome to Venture Church. Man, I'm so glad that you're here today. Look, do me a favor. Uh, if you have a Bible or use an app or whatever, um, go ahead and grab it and begin looking up Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9 is where we're going to uh, kick off today. But first, as you're turning there, as you're looking that up, I want you to look at this picture. Okay, kind of a heavy way to start today, I realize. But um, I, I want you just to kind of process this with me for a moment. Now, if you were to Google uh, or you to look up um, images or pictures of war, th this would be one of the first pictures, one of many, many, many pictures you would find that all have a very, very similar theme to them. The brokenness of the human condition and the pain of the innocent. Now, full disclosure, I don't know a lot about this particular picture. I don't know the story of it, okay? I don't know the names of the people involved. I don't know what happened preceding this moment. I don't know what happened immediately following this moment. Here's what I do know. I know that little girl in that picture in her dirty pajamas as she clings to her mama with her face buried in her mom's shoulder so that she doesn't inhale the dust and the smoke as they stumble through the wreckage that was once their home. I know that that little girl is created in the image of God just like my little girl is. And there's something, because of that, that there's something deep in my soul, there's something deep in my heart that just cries out when I see that image, I see images like that, that, that says, hey, that's not right. Something needs to be done about that. I don't know what, though. Like, like my, my heart, my soul hurts in that, but, but man, I don't know what to do about that. Like, what, honestly, like, what am I going to? What, what could I do? What could, what could you do about that? I mean, we, we can pray, and I don't say that flippantly. I really don't. Um, we can pray, and we should pray, because prayer stirs the heart of God, and God can do immeasurably more than you and I could ever think or imagine. And so we should pray. We can give. We can give to organizations that are equipped to step into these moments with relief. And, and we should do that. We should give, because God has blessed us so that we can bless others. We can raise awareness. And again, we should do that because the more people praying and the more people giving, the better, the more likely that relief and help and hope will be found. Like we, we should do all of that. But the reality is that for the vast majority of us, and there's some of you that I realize this might not be true because like you got that special set of skills that Jeff talks about sometimes, you know, like we don't talk about your work and that's okay. I don't want to talk about it. But the majority of us, for the vast majority of us, like we're not going to stand before the armies of war and fight towards any meaningful end there. We're not. But just imagine with me for a moment if you could do something there. Your heart, your soul cries out and says, man, that's not right. Something needs to be done. Imagine, imagine if I could put a guide in your hand. Imagine if I could put instructions in your hand and say, hey, listen, if you will do this, it's going to cost you some time. It's going to cost you some effort. It's going to cost you some energy. It's probably going to make some moments, some seasons a little awkward, a little uncomfortable for you. But man, if you will do this, that little girl that was created, that is created in the image of God, you can help rebuild. You can help her rebuild her life and, and hope. Would you do it? I think most of us would. I, I, 
maybe you would think, oh man, do I know or I don't, you know. But I think at the end of the day, most of us would. Now, here's the deal. I don't know that that particular guide exists. It breaks my heart. It hurts my soul to see those pictures, but like, I don't know that there's a guide out there for me to step into that little girl's life and help her. Here's what I do know. I do know that there is a destruction much greater than that image. As difficult as that image is to process in the reality of real life, there is a destruction much greater than that happening in many of our lives, many of your lives, not just around the world, but around the corner from you. Destruction in the lives of our neighbors, our friends, our families, our co-workers. Destruction that's not caused by war. It's not caused by armies. Destruction that's caused by addiction. Destruction that's caused by pornography. That's caused by lust. That's caused by hatred. That's caused by anger. That's caused by gossip. That's caused by slander. Destruction in our lives. Destruction in the lives of the people around us. That's not caused by war, but it's caused by sin. And there is a guide to step into that battle. While you and I may not be able to stand against the armies of war, while you and I may not be able to stop war on earth, I do believe wholeheartedly that we are not only called but equipped to stop hell in our lives and stop hell in the lives of our neighbors and our friends and our families and our coworkers and our loved ones. We started um, last week looking at Romans chapter 9, which, by the way, if you were here last week and then you came back this week, hey, bravo. Because um, Romans chapter 9 is a heavy place, right? Um, the, this middle part of Romans, Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11 really is, I mean, it's, it's one of the most difficult, it's one of the heaviest um, sections of Scripture. It's probably one of the most skipped over uh, sections of Scripture, honestly. It's like Leviticus, the middle of Romans, and then Numbers. Like those are the ones we just now forget that. Start reading Romans, Paul starts talking about vessels of wrath, and we ain't even got the brain space for that. We'll move on. We'll be in Romans chapter 12 next week, okay? So just come on back. It'll be okay. Um, but for this week, we'll wrap up Romans chapter 9 and then get into chapter 10 a little bit because in the midst of this, like I understand it's weighty, I understand it's heavy, I understand it may stir some questions, and that's not a bad thing for us. But, but it really, I mean, it's this incredible declaration of the sovereignty and the goodness of God. And I want you to hear these words, these good words from God. Romans chapter 9, verse 25, Paul says this. He says, as indeed he says, God says, as indeed God says in Hosea, those who are not my people, I will call my people. And her who is not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people there, in that place, they will be called sons and daughters of the living God. Now, Hosea is a prophet that uh, Paul is quoting here. It's a prophet that existed 800 years before Jesus, before the New Testament, before Paul wrote this letter. And so Paul is reaching back almost a full millennium, and he's bringing forward these words of God to remind us that God's plan all along has been to make a way for those on the outside to come in. God's plan all along has been to make a way for those that are stumbling through the wreckage of their lives, for the destitute, for the broken, for the helpless, for the hopeless, to find hope and healing in God. God's plan all along has been to make a way for those of you that felt like you would never belong, 
For those of you that felt like you would always be on the outside looking in, for those of you that felt like you would never be loved, God's plan all along has been to make a way for you to hear, you are my son, you are my daughter, and I love you. God's plan all along has been to make a way for those on the outside to come in. I love that line. In the very place that they were told you don't belong, in that very place they'll hear, you're my son, you're my daughter. That should be, that should be our churches. That should be our homes. It's one of the reasons I love Venture Church so much because our churches and our homes should be places where people hear you belong, where people hear God loves you, where people hear he is inviting you in, not they should never hear you don't belong here. God help us if that's ever been the case. Our churches and our homes should be places where people hear God has a way for you to be loved. And understand, okay, it is a free invitation. It is a free gift. It is a free invitation from him. God's plan all along, thousands of years ago, God's plan was to make a way for you to come in. But understand that invitation is a conditional one. It's a free invitation. It's a free gift. You can't earn it. I can't earn it. We never deserve it. It's free, but it's conditional. So what's the condition? It's a fair question. Um, look over Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, verse 3. Paul says, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God. He's talking specifically about the Israelite people, the Jewish nation that rejected Christ. But this is true for each and every one of us that would be uh, tempted to reject Jesus. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law or the fulfillment or the culmination of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. The way that God has provided, God has provided a way for you, for I, for every person in the brokenness of the human condition. The way that God has provided for us to know him, to belong to him, to be a son, to be a daughter, to be loved by him. It has absolutely nothing to do with your righteous deeds. It has everything to do with the righteous death of Jesus. It has nothing to do with what you could do, what I could do for God or for anyone else. And it has everything to do with what God has already done through Christ, through Jesus for us. Jesus said, John chapter 14, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by me. He's the way. God's been preparing a way. God's plan all along has been to prepare a way, to make a way for us to know him, for us to be known by him, for us to be loved where we felt like we would never be loved, for us to have belonging, for us to have hope and healing in the midst of our brokenness. He's been preparing a way, and that way is Jesus. Jesus provided that way on the cross. Because on the cross, this is Romans chapter 8, on the cross, Jesus did what the law could never do because the law had been weakened by the flesh. That's us. We're weak, and we weakened the law. The Old Testament law was, was established to bring us into right standing with God or really to show us that we couldn't be brought into right standing with God on our own. The Old Testament law said, hey, if you do this and don't do that, and if you accidentally mess up and you do do that thing, then make sure you do this to make yourself over here where you didn't really do it. It was all to bring us into a right standing with God. But what the law did was the law revealed to us, we can't do it. 
We can't be the way. We can't make our own way. What the law, what the Old Testament law did was it revealed that we cannot live up to the standard of the divine. We can't do it. We can't match the maker of the universe. We can't live up to his holy, to his glorious, to his righteous standards. It had been weakened by the law because we are weak. And so Christ, Jesus, then did on the cross what the law could not do. Gave us righteousness. Offered us hope. Offered us healing. Offered us forgiveness. God made a way for us to be brought into the family. And that way runs through the cross. The cross where Jesus died on our behalf. The cross where Jesus, the perfect son of God, took your sin, took your shame, took your punishment. The cross where Jesus took the beating, where Jesus took the mocking, where Jesus was ridiculed on your behalf, on my behalf. The cross where Jesus, nobody took his life, he laid down his life at the cross. The cross where Jesus laid down his life on your behalf so that you could know mercy, so that you could know hope, so that you could know forgiveness and salvation. The cross where the ground is completely level. Because at the cross, you and I, we're made equals, undeserving, unworthy. At the cross where all the sin and all the shame that you could possibly bring is covered in the blood of Christ that was shed on the cross. The cross is the way that God has provided for you and I to know him. And here's the condition, the end of verse four, to everyone who believes. God has made a way through the cross for us to be brought from the outside in, for us to be known as sons, daughters, for us to be beloved in the eyes of God. He's made a way through the cross for those that will believe. Believe in what? We'll see that in just a second. But first, I want us to be a little careful, okay, cautious, with, with how we think about belief, how we understand belief. Because a lot of times, I think we can make belief less than what Scripture intends for it to be. Think about this for a moment. Where does belief happen for you? What is the faculty that creates belief in you? It's your mind, right? It's your thinking, Belief is a thought process. You think a thing, you, you, you weigh the evidence, you weigh the facts, you weigh the arguments, you think about this, your thoughts, and then belief is stirred in you, right? You believe a thing because you think a thing to be true. And listen, the Bible talks a whole lot about the power of your mind, the power of your thoughts. That's what we're gonna talk about next week in Romans chapter 12. Incredible scripture, incredible passage. The power of your thoughts, the power of your minds. But that's not what Paul has in mind here when he talks about belief. It's more than just a thought process. It may start there, but that's not where it stops. See, James, the brother of Jesus, the writer of, or the author of the New Testament letter, um, James, James would say that even the demons believe. Even the demons believe. They believe that God is the creator and the sustainer of the universe. They believe that Jesus is the son of God. They believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sin and your shame. They believe that to be true. So the question at hand isn't, do you believe it? The question at hand is, where has that belief settled for you? Let me show you, show you what I mean by that. Skip down to verse 9. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. 
Because, Paul says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, there's a question of what to believe, that God raised Christ from the dead, you will be saved. For with a heart one believes and is justified, and with a mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, for there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Three times in this little paragraph right here, three times Paul distinguishes between your mouth, confessing with your mouth, and your heart, believing in your heart. And, and, and he distinguishes there the, the mouth and the heart and the role that that plays in our faith and in our belief, not to like divide the person or not to divide your experience with God to say, okay, well, you've done one, now it's time for you to do the other. That's not what Paul is doing here. Rather, he's emphasizing the duality of faith, that faith is both an internal and an external exercise, that saving faith encompasses your whole self. He says, to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Now, this confession here is, is a profession. It's, a, it's an outward declaration. It's not to say, it's not, it's not an acknowledgement of wrongdoing, right? Well, I got to confess that I did. Somebody caught me. Now, James, again, James would tell us that within the context of the church, we confess our sins to one another, and there we find healing. That's a conversation for another day, because that's not Paul's intent. Confession here for Paul is this outward declaration of the reality to, to partner my life with this truth that Jesus is Lord. Now, for me, um, I, I've told you many times, like my, my experience growing up, um, I, I, grew up in, um, I grew up in church in a, in a tradition, uh, not, not different beliefs, right? Very similar, but very different expression. Um, and for me, like confession was this, it, it happened within the safety of the church, the safety of the people, right? A pastor preached a message, stand up, there's an offertory, there's an invitation call, rather, walked down front, prayed with the pastor, would sit over to the side until everybody was done singing. And then after everything was done, the pastor would call me back to the front, or pastor called me back to the front, and he kind of did my confession for me. Hey, Brother Kyle here, 14, Brother Kyle. Um, Brother Kyle here, you know, he, he's professing the Lord, professing Jesus as his Lord, all in favor say aye. And the church voted. The church voted for like my salvation. I don't know. It was odd. Um, and, and listen, I don't say that flippantly. I, honestly, like, let me, let me say this, okay? Because um, I've made some kind of jokes, you know, about just how I was brought up in church. Let me, listen, had it not been for the faithful in that family, I wouldn't know Jesus like I know them, okay? So I just, let me just clarify that. Man, there's some incredible people. I'm an incredible experience in church that, man, brought me to Jesus, brought me to know Jesus like I know him today. Um, and so I'm thankful for that experience. My point is that, that expression of confession within the safety of the church body is not a bad thing. That's a good thing. We should be able to profess our beliefs to one another. But that is also not what Paul has in mind here. Paul is dealing with a group of people, as he writes this letter, he's dealing with a group of people that to believe in Jesus and then to make that known, to confess that outwardly, was a life or death choice. I mean, these were people that to believe in Jesus meant they could be drug out in the streets. They could be 
beat within an inch of their life. Their, their families could be taken from them. Their careers could be taken from them. And all they had to do to stop that pain and stop that violence was to deny Jesus. See, what Paul is telling us here is that to confess that Jesus is Lord is to not let the words of Christ fall silent on our lips when it's inconvenient for us. And this is what society, this is what culture kind of brings us to, right? I don't know if you've realized this or not, but like the goal of the culture we live in isn't to um, destroy faith. It's not to get rid of faith, but it is to silence faith. Hey, look, you can believe it. It's fine. Believe it in your church. Just don't talk about it at work. You can believe it on Sunday. You can believe it on Wednesday. You can, that's fine. Just don't talk about it at school. Hey, that, look, you got your thing. I got my thing. Don't try to tell me I'm wrong, right? It's not trying to destroy it. It's trying to silence us, but to, to proclaim, to, to confess that Christ is Lord is to not let his words fall silent on our lips because it's inconvenient for us because someone might think we're backward or, or bigoted. To not grow silent. Because if he is Lord, if Jesus is Lord of our life, then he's Lord at church and he's Lord at work. Amen. He's Lord at church and he's Lord at school. He's Lord at church and he's Lord at the awkward family Thanksgiving dinner. He's Lord of all. Amen. And that might be uncomfortable. That might be inconvenient but he's called us to confess, to profess, to declare that he is Lord of our life. And that is only possible if we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. Do you see where belief settled? It may have started in the mind, but it didn't settle there. It settled in the heart, to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. For you and I, the heart is, is like our seat of emotion, right? Like our heart is where we feel things. You feel love, you feel hate, you feel anger. It's all an expression of the heart. It's not wrong, it's just kind of culturally, that's how we talk about things. But for Paul, for the, the hearers, uh, or for the first century believers, the heart was more than emotion. The heart was much more than the seat of emotion. It was the seat of your very being. It was your core. It was who you are in reality. It's who people believe you to be when they see you, and it's also who people don't know you to be when they don't see you the heart of all that you are. Paul said to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. To believe in your heart means to orient your entire being around this reality. To aim your choices and your decisions around this reality. To treat your work, to treat your school, to treat your relationship with your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your spouse, your children, to treat that as if this is real and true, that God has raised them from the dead. This reality that, that there is an end called hell to our path of self. And there is an end called heaven to our path of God. The, the reality that you and I can't move from one to the other. We can't move from destruction, from eternal destruction to eternal glory on our own. The, the reality that the only way we can do that is through the cross. The, the reality that God has made a way that Jesus died on the cross for us to know forgiveness and then that God raised him from the dead because on the cross, Jesus did not die, he defeated death. He not only died, let me say it that way, 
he did die. And then he defeated death. And he defeated sin. And he defeated shame. And if that is true, if that is true, everything else in life is framed by that reality. Now, okay, hold on. Because I, I always thought, Kyle, I always thought that like this was supposed to be easy. To confess and believe. I, honestly, I grew up the ABCs of faith. That's what I heard. The ABCs of faith, to admit, believe, confess. It should be easy, right? No. I don't think it should. Simple, yeah. Straightforward, yeah, but easy, no. See, Jesus said that the path to destruction is wide and many people are on it. That's easy. But the path to eternal life, the path to eternal glory, well, that's a narrow gate and not many find it. He did say, Jesus did say that, that, his, that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. But his yoke is easy and his burden is light, not because following him is easy, because it's worth it. See, it's not that the pursuit of Jesus is easy in our choice. Now, you're going to have to confront some really difficult things in your life. It's worth it. He is worth it. He's worth it all. He's worth it all because at the cross, he gave it all. Because at the cross, when you could do nothing to earn it, when you could do nothing to repay him, at the cross, he gave you grace. At the cross, he gave you mercy. At the cross, he gave you forgiveness. He gave you hope. He gave you love. He gave you salvation at the cross. It's not that it's easy. It's that it's worth it. He is worth it. Now, let me give you one other passage real quick, okay? Two verses here. Um, at the end of Romans, Romans chapter 10, verse 14, and then we're going to skip down um, to verse 17. Verse 14, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Preaching, by the way, is not a profession that someone gets, someone gets paid to do. Preaching is a call that all of us as believers are called and equipped to do. It means to proclaim the good news of Jesus. Verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Paul told us in Romans chapter three, Romans chapter three, verse 23, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans chapter five, he tells us that Christ died, that Christ took the cross while you and I were still sinners. While we could offer nothing in return, Christ died on our behalf. Romans chapter six, he tells us that the wages of sin is death, that the salary of sin, that what we earn in return for our sin and our choice is eternal death. But Romans chapter eight, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ because death has been defeated. Sin and condemnation have been defeated on the cross. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ. And then Romans chapter 10, verse nine, that if you confess with your mouth and if you believe in your heart, then you will be saved. Eternal salvation, eternal rescue, if you confess and believe. Now, if all of those words are true, if, all, if, if, if the wages of sin is death, if all have sinned then and all have earned death, but if in Christ there is no condemnation because at the cross he died when you and I were still sinners, if that is true, and listen, I'm staking my life, 
I'm staking my eternity that those words are true. If that is true, how could we possibly be silent about it? I mean, you, you, you think about the, the pain and the devastation we saw in that picture. You don't have to feel it. You don't have to walk through that rubble. You don't have to know the, the stories of those people to, to see, to understand that pain, that sorrow, that brokenness. It's the same brokenness. It's the same sorrow that's, that's true maybe in your life. That's true in your neighbor's life. It's true in your family's life, in your friend's life. But if there's no condemnation in Jesus, and if we have to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart and then we will be saved, how could we not tell people of that reality? How could we not make that known? That's the path to hope and healing. That's the path to rescue. How could we, if we know that, how could we, how could we not say it? Well, now, wait a second. I listen to it. Like, that sounds great and all, but I'm not a preacher. I'm on the microphone, I don't have to stay. I don't like standing in front of people. Listen, honestly, I don't either, but most of us shouldn't do that anyways. Paul said, faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, right? And so let me give you two things real simple you can sink your teeth into this week. If faith comes through hearing, then maybe a step for you or a step for you, a step for you is to make some space for conversations. Make space for conversations so that somebody can hear you and you can hear them. If faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, then when you make space for those conversations, put Jesus in those conversations. When you're at the ball field, talk to the person sitting beside you. When you have that inevitable awkward family dinner, talk to your uncle. Because if there's hope and if there's grace and if there's mercy in your heart from the cross, it'll come out. And hearing Faith comes through hearing, hearing through the word of Christ. I don't know how it works, but I know that the reality of Jesus, when it pricks people's ears, it pricks people's hearts. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to um, pray, and, and like we, we've done for a while now, we're going to move into a time of, of worship and response. And, and I think for us, man, maybe, maybe you're hitting this in a couple of different places. For you, maybe where you are today is that belief is beginning to move from your head to your heart. It's beginning to settle a little bit deeper in you. And today's a day, today's a marker in the sand for you, a line on the timeline for you that, hey, today was the day that it all changed because that belief, that belief moved from a thought, that belief moved from a, a mental acknowledgement to a reality in my heart, to my core, to who I am. And you want to, man, you want to get on your knees at the altar. You want to talk to somebody. We'll have prayer team um, available. Maybe for you, there's a person in your life, there's a person in your story that you know God's placed in your story right now. But they need to hear these words from you. You've got the path to hope and healing in Christ, and they need to hear it from you. And you need to pray for them. But we're going to respond. But listen, please hear me in this. You're not responding to a message. You're not responding to uh, a worship song. You're responding to the cross. You're responding to what Jesus has done on the cross. So let me pray for us. Lord, we come before you now, God, I thank you. Again, I, it has been said many times today, but God, Lord, we thank you for your goodness. 
Lord, we thank you for your son. We thank you for the cross that even while we were sinners, you died on our behalf, that your love was put on display when we could do nothing in return. We could do nothing to earn or deserve it. God, in this time, in this space, in this moment, Lord, we pray that your power, that your glory will overwhelm us. God, that you'll be glorified, that your name will be lifted up. God, we thank you for the salvation, forgiveness, the rescue at the cross. All things we ask your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Venture Church Podcast. To find a campus near you, check out venturechurch.org.